this week on the Divided Opinion podcast. He probably thought himself that his Chelsea career had probably come to an end and he'd get a move elsewhere, but he's coming to the team, done excellently. What have you taken from his performances this season? I mean, we heard that he, he sort of called a, a, a meeting, didn't he, with the squad to sort of reassure them of his commitment to the club. And obviously it seems like that was needed. Some people probably think it wouldn't be, but it, it can it can really seep into a dressing room. And... That first season in the Premier League, we'd go every week and Leicester would lose. Every week. But we'd go every week, every player would give their all and we'd, li- we'd leave the ground thinking, we should have had something there. I'm leaving the ground now thinking, we didn't deserve anything there. The guy, he's there, he, I think he's literally wearing Ollie's suit that he left, <laughs> hanging up in the dressing room. Hello and welcome back to Season 2, Episode 14 of the Divided Opinion Podcast. My name is Joel and Westy joins me as usual. How are we, Westy? All good? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Good. Good. Good to hear. It's another mental week. Got a lot to talk about, so there's no hanging about this week. On the other topics of conversation are going to be Leicester's passive performance against Chelsea. Uh, Watford shocking Manchester United, and then the uh, the what everything that followed after that. Wolves beating West Ham, Spurs beating Leeds, Liverpool comfortable against Arsenal. We're going to talk about the title race hotting up. Who are our favourites to go on and win the Premier League this season? And we're going to start off with a little bit of Champions League chat. Obviously, last night we saw Chelsea beating Juventus four nil, and we obviously saw United beating Villarreal away from home. Uh, we'll start with Chelsea, Westy. I assume you watched the game. Yep. What did you take from the game? I thought Juve were, were pretty poor, to be honest. Yeah. Um, they, they were disappointing, really, weren't they, Juventus? Because I think in the first game they played um, back at Juventus, Juventus won. Yeah. And I, I thought, despite having a sort of a bad domestic season... Uh, the Champions League seemed to be where they were sort of bringing out their best football this season. So I expected them to go to Stamford Bridge and give Chelsea a lot more of a game. But it yeah. just seemed like men against boys, didn't it, for almost the full 90 minutes. Juventus never really got a foothold in the game at any point. Can you remember exactly how did they approach that first game? I remember them winning, but how was it that they they overcame Chelsea? Was it a, a kind of because yesterday they were just sitting back? That's all they wanted to do. Uh, yeah. they, from the from the first minute, I don't know if it's a reaction to seeing Chelsea's recent form, um, but I can't really remember how they beat. When you watched that game last night, it makes you think: How on earth did they beat Chelsea in in the reverse fixture? Yeah, well, I think I think when they beat them, I think Chelsea just come off the back of that one they were lost to. I think it was Man City in the league, and they'd had a another sort of dodgy result the game before that as well. So. I don't know whether it was just a little case of Chelsea being in like a, a minor little blip or dip of form. Um, yeah. But I think Juventus, I think they approached the first game quite similar. I mean, tried to contain Chelsea's attack pretty well and obviously they got that goal through Chiesa. Um, 
but obviously Juventus are a team where once they go goal up, it's they have got the defensive capabilities to sort of see out a game with Benucci, Keeley, yeah. experience. Yeah. But it just seemed like last night. I mean, once Chelsea scored their first goal, there was only ever going to be one way the game was going. It looked like. No, and obviously that first goal came came by the way of Trevor Shalaber. Obviously this season, I think he, he was out alone on Lorient, I want to say. Lorient, um, yeah. Last season, yeah. I think he's had a few championship loans. I think he's been at Ipswich before. Um, looked really impressive this season. Another yeah. Chelsea youth player that seemed to probably... Think, I think at the, his, he probably thought himself that his Chelsea career had probably come to an end and he'd get a move elsewhere. But he's come into the team, done excellently. What have you taken from his performances this season? It's a really surprising one, to be honest, because when he he scored on the first game of the season, didn't he, as well? I think against Palace. Um, played yeah. really well there. And it's not really before that game. I, I had no idea he was still in sort of Chelsea's plans or... Tuchel's no. plans and it's a really strange one but Tuchel's obviously been watching him closely over the past few months even when he was away on loan last season and obviously he's seen he thinks that he can bring something to the team and he's given him trust and put a lot of faith in him and he's repaying him by sort of stepping up to the level every time they play every, every game they play and every level he gets tested at he just seems to rise to the occasion and I really like what I see about him yeah that back three now that that Chelsea have got of Thiago Silva Shalaber and Rudiger it seems to be the perfect mix of experience pace power uh, composure as well and uh, it looks like a really really strong defense and you've even still got the likes of Aspilicueta and Christensen on the bench um in terms with, with Shalaber is it I think are we seeing like a Obviously, the Frank Lampard era was it came to a like a bitter end, so to speak, and he he didn't achieve what he wanted to. But the, we've we've spoke about before on the podcast that there were certain aspects of his reign that have kind of gone on to stand the test of time and have aged well. Um, if you we look back at that, because Chelsea were never a team that, and they were almost a team that criticised for their lack of a focus on youth. But now we're seeing that. I don't know if it is just a kind of a cause, like a effect of that era where they had that that transfer ban, and obviously Lampard encouraged youth and brought a, developed a lot of young young talent. But we're seeing it now; it's still still happening. Shalaba, Hudson Odoi playing last night, Loftus Cheek as well. I mean, that was his part in that goal in Hudson Odoi's goal. What a goal that was! Yeah. Um, well, like you say, with with what happened with Lampard, it's it seems like his. I mean, as much as his reign like you said ended sourly in the end it seemed like he got the ball rolling in that sort of aspect because Chelsea had always like you said been been sort of criticised for not giving youth a chance but I think Tuchel's probably was the perfect person to come in after Lampard and sort of carry that theme on because obviously his background with being a German coach and his academy work in Germany and at Mainz and Borussia Dortmund I mean they're notorious yeah. aren't they the Germans for bringing through youth and developing them and it seems like there's probably not a better coach in the world right now to to be a young player playing under than Tuchel I mean he seems to give you a chance and he'll give you multiple chances there's players in Chelsea's setup now that have had chances and they've not quite been at the level but he'll still give them another chance and another chance and then 
if he if you yeah. are up to it, he will give you lots of minutes and in, in big games, just like we saw last night. Yeah, and obviously there is this situation going on as well with Rudiger at the minute. Uh, I don't know what your your thoughts are on that. Apparently, Bayern, Real Madrid are circling. Uh, he's his contract runs out in the summer of twenty twenty two, so the end of this season. Seems like he's holding out. Do you think uh, it's an interesting one, really? Because there's two ways of looking at it. Obviously, Rudiger is another player. You're talking about players that possibly had bad patches under other coaches and then have come back and been brought out, brought in from the cold uh, under Tuchel. And Rudiger is one of those players. He's probably playing his Probably the best football I've seen from him, to be honest. Yeah. Since his time in Italy and probably playing with Germany. And with Chelsea, it never really happened. Um, well, until Tuchel came in. But yeah, no, it's either, but yeah, there's two ways of looking at it, really, with, with him and wanting to move away. Because obviously Tuchel is that man that's brought the best out of him. But he's obviously also, he's won a Champions League now. It looks like, I mean, we'll get on to who we think is going to win the Premier League this season. But it looks like Chelsea are definitely going to be in the running. So if he were to win a Premier League, has he now achieved everything he can at Chelsea and would he move away? Do you, would you do you think he'll side with that? You've also got to look at it from the the point of view as I think he's in a way he's in the prime of his career now. He must be 30, 29, 30, maybe even a little bit older. And he's twenty eight. Twenty eight. So he's coming into the sort of prime sort of slash twilight years of his career and I'd say prime to be honest, as a centre back. I reckon yeah. 28 is probably Yeah, you're prime. probably right. And um, But it depends what Chelsea are offering him. And I mean, I think we we put a little post up about it a few weeks ago and the fact that they weren't quite meeting the demands that he wanted. He wanted his wage doubled and they're only meeting half of that. Uh, maybe he feels as on a personal level and on a sort of career and family level, we, he wants to go and find the biggest contract, his last, because this will be his last big contract wherever he goes. So, it's he might he might he fully he might want to stay at Chelsea, but he might be thinking financially and more sort of long term for his family in terms of he wants to go and get that biggest payday he can. And like you say, he's, yeah, he, if he win the Premier League this season, he will he will have achieved everything he can in England. And some players just like to tick off different boxes of their career, don't they? And you could probably yeah. see him wanting to return to Germany at like Bayern. I mean, it would it, it would make sense, wouldn't it? Yeah, and he has refound that form. I think it, it got it bewildered him for a while, and a lot of people were calling for him to to be sold by Chelsea. And I think, think people didn't really understand what he offered. But honestly, I mean, we'll yeah, we'll segue now onto Leicester's win against Chelsea. Obviously, I was in the ground; I got to see it firsthand. I wish I didn't have to see it firsthand. Leicester's win but against Chelsea. Chelsea's win against Leicester. Sorry, um, yeah. Obviously, I, I witnessed it firsthand and. Rudiger, I mean, just the whole Leicester, the Chelsea team were just, they just look cut, cut above at the minute. Honestly, you see it in their passing. It's so sharp. It's, obviously, we'll talk about Leicester as well, but Rodgers decided to match up with Tuchel, go for the 3-4-3. Three, three. And well, as soon as I saw it, I saw Mark Albrighton playing wing-back and Marty playing. And it was one of those ones where my kind of, my better judgment was that I was thinking, oh, I don't know what's going to go on here. I'm not happy about this. But you think, let's trust Rogers, trust in the process, and let's hope that he knows something I don't. But it turns out he didn't because I think it's almost it's suicide going up against that Tuchel team and matching him up because 
I don't think there's a team on in world football that plays that system better than Chelsea. That three four three, and you watch, you just see how developed it is and how familiar the players are, and they were a cut above Leicester at the weekend. You saw the likes of Chilwell and James almost playing like inverted wing backs. I mean, we've seen, haven't we, with with City with Cancelo, players like that, and. It's scary, honestly. It's scary to watch. Obviously, you're gonna have to watch United against Chelsea this weekend, and I'm concerned for you. Um, but I think the main focus for me as well was that Leicester really just played into Chelsea's hands. We know how good Chelsea are. It's not uh, embarrassing to lose against this Chelsea side this season, but Leicester were just passive. I wondered really, from an outsider's perspective, what you what you would think is causing this poor form for Leicester because I, I'm I've got my kind of my my own opinions on what it could be but from an outsider's perspective what do you think is going wrong well I think I mean a, obviously a possible cause could be obviously this sort of constant noise surrounding Brendan Rodgers' future at the club um I mean, we heard that he, he sort of called a, a, a meeting, didn't he, with the squad to sort of reassure them of his commitment to the club. And obviously it seems like that was needed. Some people probably think it wouldn't be, but it it can. It can really seep into a dressing room and it doesn't have a good effect. It has like, a, I think even Roger said in his interview last week, it can sort of just destabilise a whole club when this sort of talk's going on. But I feel like this had sort of set in for Leicester before this talk at all come out didn't you and it, I don't know what it is I, I don't I remember saying earlier on in the season that I didn't think it was anything to for Leicester to get really particularly worried about it was just sort of a a little flash in the pan and a little blip but it seems to be sort of more setting into a little bit of a rot now doesn't it yeah it's actually a really interesting point to be honest I hadn't even really because I feel like when you're when you're a fan of a team, you you very much just live in the moment, don't you? But yeah. when I do think back, this has been a persistent issue this season, where players come out seems to take ten twenty minutes to get going. Some players look like they don't want to be there. Being frank, they they look like they don't want to be there, and I don't know whether it's it is that hangover from the last couple of seasons. I mean, as a Leicester fan, I'm always optimistic. Uh, I we've been spoiled the last few seasons and. I've almost when when we get these kind of periods, I almost feel like we had it coming. If you know what I mean, like we've been so lucky, been riding a wave, having a period like this. Um, it's obviously frustrating, and I think the most frustrating thing is as a fan is when you're watching. And like I've been that first season in the Premier League, we'd go every week and Leicester would lose every week, but. We'd go every week and let every player would give their all and we'd le- we'd leave the ground thinking we should have had something there. I'm leaving the ground now thinking we didn't deserve anything there. Yeah. Like against Arsenal, we we after two goals we decided to play, but you can't do that in the Premier League. You can't do that against sides like Arsenal. They'll punish you in that first twenty minutes. They didn't look like they wanted to be there. The players. The issue is for me is these kind of Rogers out calls come in now. I've, I don't agree with it. And obviously, every fan is is allowed to have their opinion. But my personal opinion is that he's got credit in the bank. The last few seasons, I think people are forgetting this FA Cup win. We should be riding the wave of that FA Cup win. I mean, if you, if you took away that Premier League title, 
the FA Cup win would have been like one of the greatest things that ever happened to the football club, and it is one of the greatest things. But for me, I mean, I'm I'm losing my train of thought because my emotions are getting the better of me now. But I just think I don't agree with the Rogers out calls. But if Rogers does want away, I've said it before that like I want him to go if he wants away, and I I agree with you completely. That was my thought was that it is seeping into the players that doubt and. I don't know how to feel about him calling a meeting with the players. I mean, a lot. To be honest, I, I do. It it feels in some some aspects it fills me with confidence because it makes me think that he has been saying all the right things in the in the in the media. The focus now for the United job will mean we'll come to it, but it doesn't seem to be Rogers now. And I've always thought that Rogers is there for the long run. And this this Leicester squad as well. It's not like we've had a few seasons and now these players are coming to the end of their careers. This is still a very much a young squad, a developing squad that we haven't reached our peak. We've, we've a squad full of players that haven't reached their peak, believe it or not. You'd you'd be forgiven for thinking that this was a side that have had their good run and now everyone's coming to the end of their careers. You look at some of the players that should be kicking on. Players like Madison, players like, I mean, obviously Tielemans, you can't say a bad word about, but players like Ian Achos, those kind of Harvey Barnes, players like that that need to be kicking on with their careers. Suyunchu, like, we're not, it feels like we're at a point where everyone's kind of reaching the latter ends of, latter stages of their careers, but it's not the case. And it's such a weird position to be in because I don't think it's crisis talks. I don't, and I, I also believe as well that people focus too much on the here and now and don't don't look at the wider picture i mean it's no coincidence there's so many variables i mean look at look at like klopp for example the success he's had with liverpool has come when they've had been, been lucky with injuries when he's had his full squad and that's when he's had his success last season you saw he had a load of injuries and they had a calamitous season look at rogers now the injuries he's having to deal with i won't judge rogers and say Rogers out until we're losing games and we've got the likes of Justin, Fafana, those kind of players out. Um yeah, I don't what are your thoughts on the Rogers out calls? I think they're wrong. I think they they're far too early into any sort of like you say it's not reached crisis point yet. And it, I I think it would take a few more losses and sort of losses in bad fashion for it to be sort of branded as crisis. But um it's I don't know I don't, I don't know about whether you feel sort of what with what happened at the weekend as well. I mean as good as a manager Rogers is and he's got so many great plus points, don't get me wrong. Do you think one of his weaknesses is sometimes from the start of a game, his game plan and the way he'll set a team up? I feel like often the only bad thing about Brendan Rogers is that he does he gets it wrong on the odd too many occasions when they, when he's trying to sort of match up against someone better. And I think, like you say, he tried to play Chelsea at their own game. It's the worst thing you can do because I think we saw it with Man United against Liverpool, Man City. You try and play someone yeah. at their own game who's much better than you, you're going to get beat. Do you feel like yeah. that's Rodgers' sort of downfall sometimes? He some, maybe puts a bit too much belief in what he can do, tries to sort of play yeah. a team at their own game. And when Leicester could really get a result by playing a bit more conservative and pragmatic in a different approach. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree completely with what you're saying there. And he's, he, I don't know if it's arrogance getting the better of him. 
Um, but we also see it as well. He makes some kind of some decision. It is decision making with Rogers. When push comes to shove, it is, his decision making sometimes can be off the mark. We've seen it with key substitutions at key stages in games in previous seasons where he's got it wrong or he's got a certain game wrong and he has to kind of he's there chasing it. He's chasing the game and his tactical decisions show that. But I don't know, it's really hard when you when you're not seeing the inner workings of, of a club and you're not seeing the inner workings of what went into the decision at the weekend. I'm sure the issue is for me is that it looks it's hard to know whether he chose that team or whether he was almost forced into it. Because we've got I don't know how it's been allowed to happen, but we've got serious issues at fullback. Um we've obviously Castagna was playing left wing back and Bertrand was on the bench. Don't know what's happened to Bertrand. I was excited by that signing. Well, less so excited, but more just I thought he was going to be a solid addition to the team. But he seems he got COVID. I don't know if he's experiencing long COVID, but he hasn't come back in, and Rogers doesn't seem to trust him. Then right back Pereira's always injured. Um, we've also got Luke Thomas, but we've seen that Luke Thomas isn't at the level. So I don't know if it was a case of Rogers just being forced into a decision. But the Vestergaard, I mean, we'll move on soon, but the whole Vestergaard saga is just a really weird one. And just a, seems like an ill-informed panic buy, to be honest. And a pointless panic buy at that because he never plays. He literally, we played Dan Amati ahead of him. Vestergaard as well. I've seen him in a back, in a, like a two back, and he was terrible. Like I don't want to ever see it again, but I thought a player like Vestergaard in a three back would be it'd be ideal, but he doesn't see he trusts that Dan Amati over him. It's he, you sometimes you feel like you just bang your head against the wall because why did why did we sign Vestergaard? I mean, it, yeah, we'll talk. That's a conversation for another day, but yeah, Chelsea just 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 really are just a cut above everyone else at the minute, I believe, and consistency in the depth of their squad as well, and Tuchel seems to be able to bring another level out of players he seems to have that ability to just get players to believe in themselves i don't know what he, he's just a, a, a master motivator i think um but we'll come back at the end of the episode I'd, i want to find out what your like who your favorite is to go on and win the premier league win the champions league should we talk about your club now manchester united we can do is it is it best to start with the weekend and then come through to where we are now yeah, i suppose it'd be logical yeah yeah, so obviously Watford away, losing 4-1 <laughs> at Vicarage Road to Watford. Uh, obviously, finally, there was enough to see Ollie out the door. Just talk me through your, your emotions, really, uh, just in the aftermath of that game and obviously the, the news coming out about Ollie. Well, I didn't actually um, watch the game. Didn't get a chance to obviously... It wasn't on telly on Saturday and I had a football match any of my own. Um, but sort of was getting fed, slowly getting fed the 2-0, 3-0, so-and-so through the... Uh, from was the, when you were on the pitch? Yeah, from the side of the pitch. <laughs> so that was, I mean, that was da- damaging my own game in itself. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't... I said, in, I said to a couple of lads who I play football with before the game, I said I didn't think we'd win. I thought we'd either get beat or we'd get a draw. Um, and they seemed to think that there was no chance that United were going to lose to Watford, no matter how bad we are. And I, and the way I saw it before the game was, I wasn't confident 
at all because the performances we'd seen prior to the international break were they weren't just a, a an indication of a, a bad coaching or bad structure it was it was a little bit more than that it was an indication of players had had fully down tools and they weren't they'd lost all confidence in the coaching staff and once that's happened there's no turning back so do you think that was them basically just saying like Ollie, your time's to go is now. Because yeah. you'd think with that squad that you've got, you think even without a coach, you should be able to go out and beat Watford. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, Ollie's had his got all, it got a lot of downfalls, and he made a lot of bad decisions at United. As much as he did some good stuff for the club, but I, I think Roy Keane said it after after Mourinho went, and when Solskjaer came in, then they went on a bit of a dip. And I remember Roy Keane saying something that really stuck with me. He said. When when things go bad for Solskjaer, these players will throw them under the bus. And he said, leopards don't change their spots. And you've got, and I'm fully with that. And some of these, some of them players, the way they've sort of um, conducted themselves in the past few weeks, they've, a lot of them have all been, a, they've been a disgrace really to the club. And to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, I mean, a man that's given so much to the football club, no matter what your thoughts are on his coaching ability, the coaches he brings in with him, whether you think as a player he should be telling you what to do or no matter what you think, you should always give 100% and play f- and just give, yeah, like you say, just give 100%. It's the bare minimum. The bare minimum, it, minimum it's not even it, bare minimum. It's just, yeah, it's just it's just a basic expectation of being a footballer. Yeah. And the way, the, some of the performances we've seen over the past few weeks, it's not just down to someone's coaching instructions on the pitch and what they're being told to go and play. A lot of it was players clearly not giving 100%. I bet you saw it when... I think it really started that rut at Leicester. Yeah. And I I, and I didn't watch the game, but I can imagine you saw a lot of players sort of almost starting to down tools then. It's just second best to every ball. You could just see it. And I mean, we talk, I've just been talking about how Leicester haven't looked like they wanted it really. But even we look like we wanted it more than United. Exactly. We were there. Just it's just the first to second balls, and you could just see that all confidence had been lost, all sense of direction had been lost. And the worrying thing is nowadays it is just symbolic, isn't it, of footballers nowadays and football in general. It's just the players have so much power, and when they feel like a manager, it's time for them to go. They'll just decide that, won't they? Uh, but yeah, going. I mean, leaving leaving the players for a bit. Obviously, I think we all knew it was inevitable whether before the game, if United lost to Watford, maybe if, I mean, that's the worst thing about this club. No, if they'd probably kept it at 2-1, Solskjaer probably would have kept his job. That's an amazing thing. Yeah. I think the two the two late goals actually helped us in making it look, look worse than it was. And you can't forget Watford missed two penalties, had a goal disallowed through VAR. I mean, it could be 7 or 8-1 against a relegation fodder team. No, um, it's just, it's just unacceptable. No, isn't it? yeah, of course it is, and I expect it to happen um, after the game. And it was, it was a sad way to end, really. I mean, you you look at Solskjaer sort of getting booed by the fans as he approached the away end on Saturday, and obviously a bit of discontent between Bruno Fernandez and some of the fans in that. And it was just, a, it was just a really sad way to see see him go because there's he's he's brought back some. Like good times. I mean, trophies is a different conversation, but he brought back a bit of hope 
and belief into Man United and sort of reconnected the club with the fans and made us made just made us believe a little bit again in the team that we were watching because there was there were so many games under Van Hal and Mourinho where it didn't feel like you were watching your club anymore. It just sort of drifted so far away from what we once were. But Solskjaer with his sort of history and his and you could probably say it was a bit more of a nostalgic thing from the fans just constantly keeping that hope. But he it was sad to see a legend sort of leave the club in that sort of way and go out in that fashion because everyone just seemed to have given up on him, didn't they? Yeah, it's a shame really because you almost look at it now and think, I don't know, it would never happen. But you almost think after getting that second place last season or whatever, it would have been nice if he just parted ways then and it could have just gone on a, on good terms. Yeah. But it seems, as the, but that was the, the, the overriding thing as well is that the guy was just why the guy was he was just left out to dry and why he was ever like still in that job at that point is on the owners because he shouldn't have been there. He should have gone after that cruel. Liverpool game. It was cruel to leave him in there, and it, it, as each week went past, you could just see him just slowly just like depleting as a man, and just it's sad. But I think. The the issue I, I think you have now with, with United and the whole Ollie situation is when you have that ex-player, it does let emotions get in the way, doesn't it? And when you strip all that back, it wasn't good enough. And oh, he should have gone earlier. Um, but it's now just about moving forward, isn't it? Yeah. And I suppose now we need to talk about possible replacements. Obviously, initially, the talk was all about Rodgers. There's been talk about Zidane, but it's looking like he doesn't really want it. I've seen things about his wife not wanting to move to Manchester, things like that. There's obviously Ten Hag was a, a name tricked in there. It looks now that Poch, I mean, as I don't know what the, the most recent update is, but everything we've seen is that Poch is the number one kind of option. But I did see a quote yesterday saying that he's he's really happy at PSG. Yeah. So, is is Poch looking like the guy that you you'd like to come in? Um, well, from everything that's come from his side, I mean, I watched his his uh, pre match interview uh, yesterday ahead of tonight's game at City, and obviously he was quizzed a lot on the rumours as you'd expect. And as much as he did sort of state he was happy, he ne- he didn't at any point sort of deny any rumours. He said the rumours are out there, and we've just got to deal with these rumours. I mean, yeah. if he was if he was sort of dead on I think we all know that I mean it's it's out there that he wants to go now doesn't isn't it and I mean no manager in the world's ever going to come out and say they want to leave just before a massive Champions League game against a big rival no. so that was never going to happen he was always going to say that but I, I think with this one I think he is the man that I'd like to see because just the intent he's shown himself the fact that he would sort of give up that project at PSG with the sort of the the embarrassment of riches they have and a good chance of winning the Champions League this season, being that first manager at PSG to win the Champions League. If he was to give all that up to come to us in the mess we're in, you'd have to take your hat off to him, wouldn't you, really? Yeah, but also also look at it and think from your like if you speak to him like from your perspective, why would you do that? Like yeah, like you said, you've got that opportunity at PSG. Why wouldn't you just see the season out? Well, I think like, it's because... It's not looking like there's any other real options to come in for United now. No, but I, I, I like, think... 
at this point? I think from his point of view, he's obviously United have chased him for years and I think they wanted him originally after Mourinho got sacked. Obviously, they went through that whole sort of debacle of giving Oli the interim job, a few good results. They gave him the full-time job and he missed out on in that summer on United job. And I think he was quite sort of really, really upset about that. And he's always spoke of his desire to manage Man United one day. And I think his fear is is sort of staying put at PSG and the chance passing him by again. And I don't think he he wants that chance to pass him by. There's something magical but about Man he's United. He's a young manager though. Yeah, I know. I, but... I'm, not, I'm not disputing Pochettino wanting to come to United in another kind of in another in in another I'm not saying he wouldn't want to come in like another scenario I'm not debating that I'm I think there's no manager in world football would turn down Manchester United if it was at the right moment for them but do you not think if you look at it he, he what he started at PSG last season he also had a disappointing season last season he's not won anything with PSG has he uh, he's won still... a couple of like super cups French super cups Exactly. I mean, he, surely he'd at least want to leave PSG, having won a, a title and gave it a good go in the Champions League. I mean, you're not. You talk about opportunities passing you by. The United job can come back again. The opportunity to manage Messi and win something with Lionel Messi, Mbappe, Neymar, those kind of opportunities don't come around again. And it is an interesting one. And I agree with you completely. If he goes for the United job, you have to just applaud his ambition. Um, but for me, if I look at it and I think as just a as a person making a decision, I think it would just be a bit ridiculous leaving right now. But do you think maybe is there a case of Pochettino leaving and then leaving the door open for Zidane to go to PSG? Because yeah. that would make sense. Yeah, yeah. I think PSG have always been sort of big admirers of Zidane. That was always... I mean, when he left Real Madrid, you'd always put his thought in the back of your head. You would see Zidane either going to French national team or to PSG. But I think it goes back to, with Pochettino, I think it runs a lot deeper. I mean, I think PSG, they are a bit of a poison chalice, aren't they? I mean, there's so much going on in that club. It it might seem like the easiest job in the world because of all what you've got in front of you, unlimited amounts of money, the best squad in the league. But other managers of years gone by have proved that it's not as easy as it looks and he doesn't have look a look at Tuchel look how good Tuchel is now and that's and what happened with Tuchel at PSG. Leonardo the, the sporting director I mean he's a very sort of he likes everything done his own way all the signings he makes he will have the final say on them and that's why Tuchel uh, and PSG parted ways last season I mean Tuchel fell out of him and there's so many reports out there now that Pochettino has got a really sort of their relationships on on the knife edge, and that's the main reason why he's not happy there. I mean, Zidane, it's a bit of a different one. I feel like he would probably suit PSG more. He's got the sort of the the reputation and the he, he just seems like a guy that would go in and be able to just sort of contain all them egos and personalities. Yeah, and, and match them. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. He's. I mean, it's Zinedine Zidane. I mean, what can you exactly. say to the guy? I think when you look at it, if you actually do look, I do think Pochettino's more suited to United and Zidane's more suited to PSG. Yeah, it's just whether it is as simple as that. And I think Pochettino, he wants a project. I mean, what can he do? He can go to United, 
and get a five or six year contract straight like that. I mean, what are the Glazers going to do? They'll just give him a long contract. I mean, keep it safe. Yeah. He wants a project there and he knows he's got time to build something at United because they gave Ole Gunnar Solskjaer three years, so he's probably going to get 10. <laughs> and at PSG, you, you are sort of on a season by season sort of one, it's like a zero hour contract almost I mean yeah, you win the Champions you either win the Champions League or there's the door I mean and he doesn't want that I mean he's contracted yeah. to 2023 but and I think you've got to remember the biggest thing is in this situation is his family and kids live in London still do they? yeah he lives yeah. in a hotel in Paris on his own has done for the past year and he was as obviously if there's a chance to go back and manage perhaps the biggest well the biggest club in England and be close and living in again with your family. It's a no-brainer, is it, for Poch? Yeah, and he, he, like you said, PSG. It does. It seems that maybe it just popped up at the the kind of the job popped up at a time where he was bet- between jobs and he couldn't really turn it down. Yeah, but it yeah, it's never a long term, never a long term project. PSG. Um, I was actually meaning to ask you before we move on, what are your thoughts on obviously Carrick. And the likes of McKenna, the the United backroom staff that have been there with Oli, been there with Mourinho through both of those failed um, tenures. What were your thoughts on them staying in the job? Because I gotta be honest, I thought they should have been out as well as him. Um, yeah, I fully agree. I mean, they, they in hindsight they should have been out at the same time. But when you're Man United and when you're ran by the sort of people we are. Manchester United, as much as it, it beggars belief, they didn't plan for this to happen. They wanted, they were desperate for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to succeed because it was, it was, it was easy for them. He was, he, he was that guy that they wanted in there. He's, a, he's, he's not. I don't want to have, sort of disrespect Ole, but yeah, he's a yes man. He, he won't. He was sort a of, bit of a puppet, wasn't he? He won't take the club on. He's a sort of a cheaper option, and they just wanted that. That would, that would have been perfect for them. So. They were finally pressurised to bite the bullet and fire him. They hadn't got a sort of uh, plan in place for after that. So there was no one else that could have led the team forward 48 hours later at Villarreal. They had to keep them in there. So in that aspect, it doesn't really... It, I, it, I expected it because we're, we're yeah. so incompetent. The board is so incompetent. We needed. We can't have no one on the touchline. And yeah, if right. it's just a case of two or three games and we get someone like Pochettino to come in mid-season and he'll bring his own backroom staff in and they will be gone. So It just, just highlights even more that the Oli decision was just forced by that Watford defeat, wasn't it? They, yeah. weren't, they weren't planning on doing it, were they? If they were planning on doing it already, they would have had someone like Poch lined up. Yeah, because... Um, oh, it's just... It, it's res- surely nothing surprises you now, though, as a United fan. The kind of inept board that you've got Nothing would surprise you anymore. I know now, and now we're hearing Ed Woodward is looking to delay his departure by another year to help help with the search of a new manager. Like this is the reason we want you to leave, so you're not in, you're not part of these big decisions at the football club. And now he's saying he, he wants to stay to help. Yeah, you know it's it's incredible, and this is a topic we could talk about all day if we wanted to. Yeah, um, but we better move on. For your blood pressure more than anything. I just want to say though, for Michael Carrick, I mean, I hold my hands up and he, he got it right last night. Did you not, they really made me laugh though. 
the guy, he's there. He, I think he's literally wearing Ollie's suit that he left <laughs> hanging up in the dressing room. I think and he's there. Bitch. You can see him. He's had a he's had a haircut. He's had his beard trimmed, and he he was really feeling it yesterday. He oh, was really, feeling himself. It's just one of the moments. He's like, it's a one or two game spell where he's never going to get that chance again in his career. I mean, what an opportunity for him to be on the touchline for as a Man United manager. If you're Ollie though, you you sat there at home watching like. I've spent the whole time. You didn't tell me to play Van der Beek once. You come in, you start Van der Beek straight away. Drop Bruno. You know, my suit. <laughs> like, it's incredible, really. Like, watching that, it just watching United, just the soap opera unfold. It is incredible. But can you imagine Ollie being sat there at home thinking, where, where was this sort of resolute and disciplined defensive performance we're seeing tonight? I mean, from everything I've seen, though, and I only watched, I watched the first. 40 minutes and I weren't too impressed to be honest oh but no the first half from, was from just... everything I've seen you talking about people talk about it, it was kind of just a similar similar performance really and apparently Villarreal were were on top and I've seen some people say De Gea was man of the match De Gea made a couple of good saves I mean like I'm not I'm not going to come out and say we it was an amazing performance it wasn't but it was on a night where we needed a draw minimum I mean it was just a night where we needed to get a good result and we sort of contained them for majority of the game, 60 minutes or so, and then Rashford and Bruno came on. It allowed us to sort of open up a little bit. And, I mean, at the end of the day, it wasn't an amazing performance, but if you come away from a place like Villarreal where a foreign team, a non-Spanish team hasn't won at, at their ground for four years, I mean, to win 2-0, it's not a bad result. It's almost setting up for that next boss to come in as well, isn't it? I mean, it would be an absolute nightmare if you weren't in the Champions League. Yeah. So um, it's just kind of keeping you in good stead until uh, interim comes in. And you just got to hope that you don't do that like too well, do you? don't you? Like if you go and beat Chelsea at the weekend, it could be the worst on the table. that ever happens. We're going to see Rio Ferdinand on social media. <laughs> Get the contract The amount out. of times I've seen that video this week. Jesus Christ. Oh. Um should we move on? If you do you feel like you said everything you needed to say, I'm sure it will. Let's be honest. Next week we'll be talking about it when we've been pumped four 0 <laughs> Exactly, exactly. <laughs> right. So another big result from the weekend was Liverpool beating Arsenal four 0 at home. I've got to be honest. I think it. I don't think Arsenal should be too concerned. I think it was just one of those results where always just bringing them back down to ground, really. Did you watch the game? Have you seen? I watched the. Uh, I watched the first half. Yeah, and I was actually quite impressed with Arsenal in the opening sort of half an hour or so. I thought they looked like yeah, a team. I agree. I mean, so often we'd seen Arsenal go to places like Anfield and just get absolutely roll, just roll over for the opposition. And from from my perspective, the the opening sort of half an hour, they looked like a team that were playing with so much more maturity and confidence as well but it's just it is that case I can't like you say I think Arsenal have been really really good over the past sort of nine or ten weeks and I think Arteta deserves a lot of credit for turning it around because I think three games into season three losses we all probably thought that he would be the first manager in the Premier League to get sacked and look how many people he's outlasted Um, but it is just a case of I mean this is we're talking about Liverpool at Anfield I mean, this happens to a lot of teams. A lot of good teams as well will go to Anfield. Look at people like Barcelona have been in the past. It is not, it is not difficult to go to Liverpool 
and get absolutely battered if the crowd are up for it and Liverpool are up for it. If anything as well, losing 4-0 against Liverpool, it actually it could be seen as a positive really because Arsenal could have gone there and just sat in and let Liverpool just play their game, maybe lost one or two nil. Might not have might not have looked as bad on the on the, the score sheet or the fixtures looking back, but going to Liverpool, if you're losing four nil and I think it's more of the reason why Liverpool won by such a such a, a goal margin was because Arsenal did go for it. They didn't they didn't just sit back in and just let Liverpool do what they're so good at. And yeah, I I I've been really impressed with Arsenal this season. Really impressed. I think they'll be there or thereabouts. I don't I mean they could push for that fourth place spot. They could. I mean the top three is looking pretty insurmountable at the minute. But I've been really impressed with Arsenal. Obviously, Trent Alexander Arnold, two assists, continues to just improve. Well not even just continues to just set the bar really for other fullbacks and obviously Reese James as well for Chelsea deserves a mention because we didn't actually mention him earlier but he he's outstanding and in the Champions League last night that goal he scored as well but Trent yeah I think we've we've spoke about him on the podcast but he was excellent um we'll come back to actually Liverpool because we'll talk about in a bit about the title race um but Spurs obviously getting their first win they went 1-0 down against Leeds, but they came back and won 2-1. Again, in the, the early kind of periods of the game, I was not impressed by Spurs at all. No. I think um, this might not be exactly accurate, but it's something like this. It was something like six halves they'd gone with that shot on target before that game. Yeah, yeah. Harry Kane got their first shot on target of the of that, the first of like the last four weeks or something. It's just incredible. Have you have you seen any change in Spurs because I got to be honest when I watched the game I don't know if I'd see much change at all to be honest and I said it when Conte came in and everyone was raving about how good Conte is and his reputation and what he's going to do and how Spurs are now back in the conversation I just think that 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 crop of players it would take a miracle to get them yeah back to any kind of challenging form I fully agree. I mean, I, I actually tweeted almost what you just said there, word for word, on Saturday, watching the game, Sunday, sorry, and um, it's going to take a hell of a lot of investment for Conte to achieve any sort of success at Tottenham, and that's why I originally, I originally thought it was such a strange move from Conte because I mean, he signed an eighteen-month deal. He very rarely spends more than two seasons at a club, and it's going to take a hell of a lot longer than two or three seasons to get that Tottenham team to where that he wants them to be because you can change the setup and you can change the style of play as much as you want formations but if the players you've got on on hand aren't good enough to do what you want them to do I mean it's just there's no point and like you say I was really sort of disappointed with Spurs at the weekend even in the second half I mean they they won from like Hoiberg's goal, a bit of a scuffed shot into the bottom corner. Regulon, a, little, a bit lucky off the post from a deflection. I mean, you I can't. Mean, we've take... seen how poor Leeds have been this season and, as well, and how open they are. And I think you're forgetting Leeds here have got twelve of their their best players injured: Bamford, okay. Rafinha, um, Cooper, uh, Ailing. I mean, they've got all their, their basically their starting eleven is just on the on the injury bench. They had like sort of mm. Joe Geldhart. Um, 
Jamie Shackleton, all them sort of players starting at the weekend. Tottenham should be beating that team well. At, the, at their massive new stadium as well. It should be a fortress. The team should be going there fearing to play there. A 2-1 winner against Leeds. I'd, I'm just... It's a tough one and I'd understand why Spurs fans are now optimistic and you have got the right guy there. But they just continue to make the same mistakes with their, their recruitment and the players they bring in. It's almost like they're at a point where, you know, like Arsenal were for a while, where they just bring players in and there was didn't seem to be much thought behind any of the transfers. They didn't seem to kind of fit the, the mould or they didn't seem to be a, a broader plan. No. I mean, you now look at a team like Arsenal and you see each player, you can see where they're going to fit in to the, to the system and there's a balanced team being created. I mean, you look at that Spurs side, players like Emerson Royale, they brought that Brian Gillen or however you say it, players like Lo Celso. These players that, they're, I'm sure they're good and I'm sure they've had good pop periods of their career, but where do they fit in? What is the... the the Spurs way and I suppose we'll see if 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 uh, Conte is given any room to manoeuvre in the transfer window or yeah it, it's it's worrying for Spurs to be honest and I don't think they're going to be anywhere near in any kind of contention for a long long time if I'm if I'm completely honest with you no I agree fully agree um we'll move on now to a team that have been doing excellently um a team that I've got to be honest whenever I saw their fixture on the fixture list, it was one that I dread. Wolves, they've they've looked excellent this season, and just Bruno Large, you can't fault the the job he's done really. And he's come in and he's he's paid respect to what Nuno created and the the kind of the foundation he foundations that he had created before him. Because Nuno did a, he did a good job at Wolves, like he brought them up, he made them into a stable Premier League club, which well. is one of the hardest things to achieve. But then again, there was the the issues of the level of his squad, and I don't think he was ever getting the full amount out of them. Um, you want to say something? I was just going to say, like obviously, with uh, Nuno, obviously it sort of plateaued in that third season in the Premier League. But I think people do forget, as much as the the football was quite dismal at times, like back to back, and as soon as they got promoted, two back to back seventh place finishes. I mean, it's pretty yeah. impressive, isn't it? No, it is, and. I just think that's why why large it's so impressive what he's done is because he hasn't come in and tried to tear it up and kind of rip up the the formula that that Nuno had created and I think I've seen Cody talking um, on match of the day too because now that's a thing that footballers do they go on Monday night football and match of the day every week but he was basically saying that that he's placed he kept the same formation he hasn't t- torn it up but. He's he's added a few new few tweaks. He's gotten them playing a bit faster, faster pace, faster in possession, and a bit more positive, which is what they needed. He's finding a balance, isn't it? it Wolves aren't going to be the to be able to. You don't want Wolves to go out and play like Leeds, for example, and just go after teams and leave themselves exposed. But the attacking talent they've got on offer. You look at the likes of Pudence, uh, Neto. I mean, I'm so delighted to see Jimenez back scoring because he's yeah. a top top draw striker. And when when an injury like that happens, you do worry, don't you? When it's a player, especially that's so 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 strong in the air, and it's such a huge part of his game, you did worry that maybe he wouldn't get back to that back amongst the goals. But he has, and 
yeah, have you been impressed by Large then overall? Yeah, in in all fairness, I've not regrettably haven't been able been really watching Wolves as closely as maybe I should have done this season. I've watched them on a couple of occasions yeah. against Everton when they won last week. Uh, well, mm. just before the international break, sorry. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm just I'm I'm impressed with them when I do watch them because I feel like under Nuno it was sort of such a such a slog to watch Wolves sometimes, and it was it was almost yeah. quite it was quite tiring and like painful. Yeah. And it was like you really say, was. as a Leicester fan for you, as a United fan for me, it was always a, a fixture where when it was announced, when it came around, I, I dreaded it because it was just a horrible yeah. game. But Lars is just sort of, like you said, he's kept the foundations there that Nuno built, and I think that's great. I mean, obviously both Portuguese, I feel like it's he sort of slotted in pretty well in the culture of the mm. club. Um, yeah, but he's just—I I imagine they're both quite similar kind of temperaments, really. Yeah, um, and he's and like you say, he's kept them foundations, and but he's also added a little bit more flair and sort of positivity to it, and. It seems like the Wolves fans love him there, to be honest. I mean, why wouldn't they? I mean, he's got them up in sick for the moment. I mean, no one exp- that's just come out of nowhere for me. Like, I've just not really been taking too much sort of, uh, not really kept an eye on Wolves until the last two or three weeks. And I've no. just hit the table now. They're only a couple of points off fourth. I'm like, wow, where's that But they from? were another team as well that had a really, dis- like, not a disappointment, but a frustrating start to the season. We beat them 1-0 at home on, on the first game of the season and they were unlucky, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, when we were lucky, um, and they, I think they, there was some stats flying about that they had like one of the highest xGs in in the league, and they just weren't putting the ball away. But then now you see Jimenez back amongst the goals, and obviously we haven't even mentioned as well they beat West Ham at the weekend, high flying West Ham, who are in fourth place at the minute, aren't they? Am I right saying? Yeah. And I think West Ham were coming off the back of a seven game unbeaten run. I think they'd won six of them. Coming off the back of beating Liverpool. Exactly. What it's just a huge result for Wolves that to get a clean sheet as well, and they were the only the second team in the Premier League this season to keep a clean sheet against West Ham. So yeah, you can't really stop, can't stop singing Large's praises really. And I'm just interested to see what Wolves can do this season. And it's always this season as well. I've been so impressed about with those kind of teams, the Wolves, the the West Ham's, the Crystal Palaces. They seem to they they're offering fixtures to the if you look like across the the calendar now these fixtures are really interesting because you know Wolves can do it can beat anyone you can know West Ham could beat anyone and the same with Palace as well but I was interested and I don't know the kind of what it, what the average is but Wolves are in sixth at the minute and they've got five losses this season from twelve games. That's like that's quite a lot of losses, isn't it? To be in sixth place. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's just a sign of the competitive. How many of draws the, have they of got? The league this season, so they got six wins. Ah, yeah. I mean, that sort so of levels got, it out. Yeah, but still, to lose five games and be that high up in the league, it's. It, I think it just shows how competitive the league has been this season. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably the highest level of Premier League season we've seen for years. I mean. I think yeah, across like an average. Yeah, like, I think, I think that the peak level I don't in football at the minute I don't think is as high as it has been. Oh no! And obviously no. that can change if Chelsea if Chelsea go on to do what they carry on doing what they're doing. I think 
I'd probably change that opinion. But I think, yeah, the average across the league is, is very high. Talking of competitiveness, obviously the title race, we talk about it every season where you think, you see teams and you start to predict, you think, oh, we're going to have the, the most amazing title race this season and certain teams fall off or things happen, teams get injuries and it never ends up kind of amounting to what we we thought it would be. But this season, I mean, if we look into Chelsea, comfortable against Leicester this weekend, Liverpool 4-0 against Arsenal, City beating Everton 3-0. I mean, look at those opponents, Arsenal, Leicester and Everton. They're wily opponents, they're, they're, they're tough games. And all three of those teams have just cruised past them. I think we're in for a, a it's going to be some title race this season. And I just wondered really, who are you looking to now? Who are your favourites? Is it Chelsea? Are you thinking Man City's depth might carry them over the line? Or who are you thinking? I think at the moment I'm probably swaying towards Chelsea. I mean, uh, I mean their strength and depth is just is so good, and Tuchel just seems to have it to a T against every team they play against almost. And it seems like they're just chipping slowly away, at getting further and further away. But yeah, so and Liverpool and City. I mean, City have almost their strength and depth is almost as good as Chelsea's, if not better. And Liverpool have. They've always got it in them to sort of go on a, an amazing run of sort of 20, 25 games and beaten and they can turn it on whenever yeah. they want. So I feel like it's going to go almost like right down to the final game or two of the season. I don't know about you. Yeah, I'm hoping so. I'm hoping so. It's just, like I said, they, they never seem to kind of become what you what you think they're going to, the title races. There always ends up being a gap near the end or you know who's going to win. But I think this season... I can't call it, to be honest. And I think Chelsea, they're looking so strong, but it's yet to be seen, isn't it? Can they do it for a, a prolonged period of time? Can they do it for an entire season? If they get injuries, I mean, you saw Chilwell got injured yesterday and he has had his fair share of injuries to deal with too, cool. But, and then you obviously look at City, you just know City have got it in them to go a 20 games unbeaten. And it's just going to be so interesting. And Liverpool as well. If they if they get lucky with injuries, they look incredibly strong. I mean, they beat they beat Arsenal four nil. They beat United four nil. Like, yeah, it is. It's looking incredible. It's looking incredible. Do you want to do our Premier League predictions to to round off the episode? Yeah, let's go. So first game we've got Arsenal versus Newcastle. I'm gonna go for a two nil Arsenal win. I'm gonna go three nil in that one. Crystal Palace up against Aston Villa at Selhurst Park. Tough game. I'll go... Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one to call that. Obviously, Villa... You Actually, Gerard. Yeah, Gerard got his first win, didn't he? For Villa under his belt in his first game. Against Brighton as well. An impressive win, that. Um, I'm going to go for a two-all draw in this one. I've gone for a one-all draw. Norwich versus Wolves. Can Dean Smith continue his, his good start? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go for a two-one win to the Wolves here. Been impressed by Wolves. We've just spoke about them. I've gone for a one-one draw there as well. Liverpool versus Southampton. I can't see anything other than a Liverpool win here. I'm gonna go for a three-one Liverpool. I mean, it's optimistic that Southampton are gonna even get a goal. To be honest, 
I've gone for 4-0 Liverpool. Right. Brighton versus Leeds. I think, I think there'll probably be goals in this game. And I'm going to say 3-2 to Brighton. I've gone for 2-1 to Brighton. Brentford versus Everton. It's an interesting game on the on the on the calendar. Um Brentford have they, it's it's their first season, isn't it? So they're gonna they're bound to go through peaks and troughs. But they've obviously they're drawn against Newcastle, they've lost against Norwich, they lost against Burnley in the last three results. They lost against they actually haven't had a win in, in five games in the Premier League, uh, Brentford. Coming up against a an Everton side that are equally inconsistent. I've gone for a 2-1 Everton win. 2-1 Everton. I've, I reckon Brentford are due a, a good result. I'm going to say 2-0 to Brentford. Burnley versus Tottenham. Probably not going to be the greatest spectacle, that. I've gone for 1-1 in that game. I'm going to go for a 1-0 win to Tottenham here. I think they're going to grind a few results out Tottenham. And then Leicester versus Watford. It's going to see Ranieri returning to the King Power. Cycling GK in goal. <laughs> I'm going to say we we need a winner. I'm going to say 3-0, get some confidence back. I've gone for 2-1 to Leicester. So rarity, you predicting a Leicester win? Well, going off the recent results, I mean, <laughs> it is a rarity. <laughs> yeah. City versus the Hammers. Interesting game for you Sunday. I'm going to go for a 3-1 Manchester City win. You know what West Ham can do, but I think they've had a couple poor results. Well, they had a poor result at the weekend. I can sort of see West Ham doing something here, but I'm going to play it safe. 2-1 to City. And then the final game of the weekend, Chelsea versus Manchester United. To what extent are you going to lose, West? Oh. <laughs> Is this the week where I finally might have to go against my own team? I reckon it might no. be. Really? I don't think you should, mate. I don't, you I'm not going to. Think. I'm not going to, but in my head. I, I, I go with your heart, mate. I'm going to go with my heart, and I'm going to go for a one-all draw on Sunday. That's That's only as far as your heart will take you. A one or draw. Yeah. Carrick. That's you being optimistic as well. Carrick's at the wheel. <laughs> the thing is though, if you do win, does Carrick like does he just stay in the job for a bit? Well, considering past experience, I mean he'll get a three year contract. I just can't wait for next week United to win and you be on the podcast next week just talking about how Carrick needs to stay and how everything's changing, everything's looking different, <laughs> we're looking good at the back. <laughs> Um, Chelsea United to round off the episode I'm going to say 4-1 to Chelsea (laughs) fantastic (laughs) right so with that prediction that rounds off this week's episode of the Divided Opinion podcast I was looking forward to it because there was a lot to talk about and I've really enjoyed it Westy I've enjoyed your your knowledge your insight have you enjoyed the episode? yep as usual absolutely loved it what do uh, what do the listeners need to do if they're if they're enjoying the podcast? Uh, well, first and foremost, we've got a, an Instagram page at, at Divided Opinion, where we where we post sort of match reports, 
little articles here and there daily about all stuff important in the football world. Um, so we're enjoying that at the minute, aren't we? Yeah, we, yeah. I think we're we're sort of really getting into the flow of things here and sort of our levels going up sort of almost weekly in terms of the content we're giving you and I hope you sort of echo sort of what we what we feel and um, yeah it's going well so head over to there give us a follow um, if you don't already obviously the link to the podcast is always in the in the bio if you're liking the podcast as well obviously keep listening it's all really appreciated get the notifications on for when the episodes drop and just, just keeping, just keeping close contact with everything. Keeping the loop. Keeping yeah, the loop. Keeping the loop. Yeah. Make sure to follow the podcast if you guys are enjoying it on whatever platform you're using. I think subscribe if you're on Apple Podcasts. Uh, I think it's a follow if you're on Spotify. Um, but yeah, thanks for joining me again, Westy. Thank you. Nice one. All right. Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll speak to you soon. Yeah.